are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, open your Bibles now to John 14, John chapter 14. And thank you so much for coming this morning. This is a great morning crowd. Yes, it is. I preached last week in Oklahoma City and had a crowd of people there. A school came in. They had about, oh, I know, a hundred and some odd young people came to be with us in the school and Oklahoma City. But this is fine this morning and just as gracious as can be for you folks to come out and be with us. In John 14, listen to it very carefully. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Then another portion, just to refresh your minds on the second coming, in Acts chapter 1. And verses 10 and 11. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was reared in Louisville, Kentucky. I was born in Indiana, Hoosier, by birth in English Indiana, a little town, about 50 miles from Louisville. But I lived in Louisville, Kentucky. I went to school in Louisville. I went to the uh, elementary schools and the high school in the city. I went to the seminary in Louisville, Southern Baptist Seminary, back when I was Southern Baptist, and uh, enjoyed all of it as far as I knew at that time. And I uh, got all through, went out to my first church in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, I was there for a year in that church. Then I came to my second church up near Nashville, Tennessee, a little place called Greenbrier, Tennessee, and I was there just a week ago in that city and right by the church. And I got in that, in that church, and I began to think about some things and to study the Bible. Now, wait a minute. When I went to the seminary, I finished my third year in Greek under the famous A.T. Robertson, saying this would benefit the pastors who are here who know the name quite well. And I had to read the New Testament through in the Greek language, every single word of it, all the way through, no help, no ponies allowed, nothing at all. You had to read it word for word in the Greek language, which I did, and was exempt on examination, which meant I made over 85 back in those days in the seminary, and uh, that was kind of pretty good. And so I finished it all. But I never preached a single sermon, or I never even thought about a sermon on the second coming of Christ. It never occurred to me. I never, never even dreamt about the matter. And uh, so I, I got to reading my Bible. And uh, I had a little room. I lived in a room in the back of the church. That's the reason I went by Green by the other day. I had the men to build me a room on the back of the church. Now, they paid me about $50, $50 a month when it first began. They paid me up to 75 That's top. That was the top salary. And I got 75 so they built me a room on the back of the church. Just a tiny place, about uh, 8 or 10 feet wide and about uh, 10 or 12 feet long. And I lived there for three solid years. Now, listen very carefully. And uh, this shows the ease of the ministry, gentlemen. I'm trying to make them see how easy and how pleasant it is all of the time. And I lived there for three years in that little room. In the corner of the room, I had a monkey stove. You ever see an old-fashioned monkey stove? Why, sure, you know what they are, just an old-fashioned stove. The floor was so thin that in the summertime, uh, the heat just seemed to pour in, and in the wintertime, the cold poured in, and the room was just a miserable place, but I stayed there for three solid years. I did much of a cooking on a little monkey stove in the corner. I mean, a stove, that's right. And in all of the three years, I never saw, excuse me, I never saw a bathroom. Didn't bother me too much anyway. And uh, uh, nothing like that. I mean, just in that one room, that's all. That's 
That's where I had to live. And uh, the water, I carried water from the well about, oh, about a block away, a city block away, and go down and get a bucket of water from the open well and bring it back up to the house and live that way for three years. Didn't bother me at all. Didn't trouble me at all. I came out of Louisville, Kentucky, came out of the Southern Baptist Seminary and the dormitories where everything was perfect, but I enjoyed that. I liked it very much. But in the matter of my staying there for three years' time, I got my Bible down before me and began studying. Now, wait a minute. You have to know a lot of things about this. I'd never seen a school field Bible. I'd never seen a school field Bible. I was not allowed to have one in the seminary in Louisville because that was against the rule. They didn't like to have one and to carry one with you at all. Don't know what it is now, but it was back in that day. I'd never seen a school field Bible. I'd never seen any book by Dr. Ironside. I'd never seen a book by Dr. Pettengill. I'd never seen a book by W.B. Riley. Not a single thing on the second coming. So when I began to study, after a while something got next to me. I said, this is strange. All the way through this Bible, it mentions the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I read the New Testament again and again. I began marking the side of verses like here in John 14 and verse 3. Jesus said, I will come again. I put a little S.C., second coming, to the side of that verse. I went all the way through the New Testament, marked every single verse on the second coming. Then I took the whole Bible went all the way through the Bible and marked everything that I felt was pertinent to the second coming from the book of Genesis all the way through Malachi and began to underscore and mark things in the Bible about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, after I had finished all of that, after some days and some weeks had gone by, actually, I never had a book on the second coming, never saw the Schofield Bible, never saw any of the books by the great uh, premillennial writers of, of this day and the days past. I never, I preached on the second coming on Sunday morning in my little church in Greenbrier, Tennessee. I gave a message on the return of the Son of God. I preached again the next Sunday. The next Sunday after that, I saw people saved. I saw a lot of folks come down the aisle and accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And I said, this is wonderful. This is what it ought to be. And I'm going to hold to this. But I didn't know what others were doing. It never occurred to me that that was a doctrine that was held by some of the outstanding people of the whole world. I knew I never had it in the seminary. Never had a word in the seminary about it. I never had a word in any of my studies. And so now I'm getting a hold of something for the first time and begin to rejoice in it. I was preaching one Sunday morning when I finished my sermon. A fellow came up to me and said, Sir, you know what you are? I said, I'm not sure. He said, you're a premillennialist. I said, is that good? He said, that's all right. He said, I'm a premillennialist myself. Well, I said, I'm glad it's all right because that's what I got. Now, you know why I'm saying that? I am premillennial, and if you will give a man his Bible, let him read his Bible as it is, and give him no helps at all, just the Word of God, he'll be a premillennialist every time. You know why? Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ is coming again, that he may come at any moment, any single moment the Son of God may appear. And we're caught into the presence of our blessed Lord in the first stage of the second coming. And then we're with him in the air for the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then we come back uh, for the second stage of the second coming, the revelation back to this earth and upon this earth for a thousand year reign. And every time the same thing. And I got it just by simple reading and studying of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ from the word of God. Everything, just as simple and plain as could be, and that's what I've held you all of these years, and praise God for it. Now, I've read the books, of course, I've read the school via Bible, I've gone through all of that, but it hadn't changed anything that I got in the original time. Now, here's what I found about the second coming. The second coming will help you to understand your Bible. Every time, every time. Read your Bible in the light of the return of the, of the Savior. He's coming again. And just keep that right before you. And when you pick up your Bible, just keep in mind that what I'm reading here, Jesus said this, or the Holy Spirit said this, and one day I shall see him face to face. One day I'm going to see the one who gave this book to me, and I know him, and it'll help you to understand your Bible. Secondly, the second coming of Jesus Christ will help you to keep your house in order. It'll make you live right. It'll cause you to be separated from the world. That's important. And you need to keep this in mind that every day, the Son of God may come today, this day, this beautiful day. 
He may come today, and if he comes today, will he find you in the right place, doing the right things, saying the right things, acting in the right way, or will he find you on the wrong side? If you're a child of God, you should be concerned about that. It'll help you to keep your life in order. Again, the second coming of Jesus Christ will make you a soul winner. It'll cause you to want to win souls to the Savior. Now, this is a rather strange thing. Some people have an idea. Well, if you look for the second coming of Jesus, why you get away from winning souls? Why you'd soon get it, give it up? Why he may come in a moment, so why try to win souls? Just go on your way. No, no, that's not it. If you believe in the return of the Son of God, you're going to be trying to get people to Jesus all of the time. And you'll be concerned about souls. And you'll be concerned about the lost and dying around you, that they might be ready for the time when Jesus comes and we shall be caught up in the presence to meet our blessed Lord. Now, read your Bible on the light of his return. Now, I want to change some this morning because of a great number of young people here and appreciate so much their being with us. And so I'll not give everything that I had in mind to say about it. But you should know in your study of the second coming the two stages. He comes, first of all, for the saints. He secondly comes with the saints, but that's one second coming, just one. He comes for it, he comes with. That's very simple, very easy to understand. Secondly, in the second coming of Jesus Christ, uh, when we're caught in the air, there will be a judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to be judged, you're going to be judged. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14, 10, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 13, 11, uh, 15, and 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and other portions on the, on the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to stand there and be judged for your works and for your service. Let me ask you something. How are you serving God? Do you serve God lovingly? You should. Love is, is the desire to live, the, the desire to serve, the desire to give. And if you're serving God right, you're serving God lovingly. Whatever it may be in the choir, in the, uh, in the Sunday school, in the school, in the ushering, whatever it may be in the church, you're serving God uh, lovingly because you love Him. Again, how do you serve God? You serve God willingly? You should. Willingly, day by day. Nobody has to drive you into it. Nobody has to beg you. You serve God because you want to and because you love Him. Again, how do you serve God? You should serve God unselfishly. Unselfishly. One day you're going to meet Him face to face. Are you doing what you get out of it? That's a strange old world we live in. Mean, mean. I tell you, folks are tough. And uh, you'll find people joining churches just for business reasons. And you'll find them leaving one church, going to another because better business. They can make more out of it, get more trade, get more influence if they can by doing a certain thing. Unselfishly. Again, how should you serve God? You should serve God faithfully. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Every hour serving God faithfully and serving God to the best of your ability. Now, there are some things that come out of the judgment seat of Christ, and that's uh, coming before us. Now, if he comes today, if Jesus comes today, and we're caught up in the air, the next thing we come to is the judgment seat, so you better be ready. It may happen any time, any single second of time. Again, the second state of his coming when he comes down will be the uh, judgment of nations at the end of the seven-year uh, tribulation time. We're not going into that. I'd like to discuss that sometime. The, sec- the seven years and the three and a half years of intensity of suffering and anguish upon the earth and the, the, ju- the tribulation time. At the end of the tribulation time will be the judgment of living nations, Matthew 25, 31 to 46. And then you have the thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth. He reigns for a thousand years in Revelation uh, chapter 20. mentioned six times. Six times the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. At the end of the thousand-year reign will be the great white throne judgment. That's when the lost are judged. They unsaved are judged. And they come to stand before God. And we'll be there with the Lord Jesus Christ at that time. But we'll not be troubled except we'll be there to see the awful judgment passed upon those who have rejected the Son of God. Now these are some things that come out of this matter of the second coming. And some great and mighty things that are there. These are discussions that we could give for a long time. And in uh, two of my books I have a full outline of all of this given. Uh, the one on some golden daybreak. And the uh, other book on the world's best holiday. Both of them have the second coming mentioned. And the things that have given here 
uh, given in full in that time. But the second coming of Jesus, I have, I have, a, I have a belief the second coming ought to change your life. You see, I preach on certain things. The message of last evening, the sacredness of life. Your life is sacred and holy. You've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's not a light thing. We talk about people joining churches and coming up and shaking hands and getting baptized. No, no. You see, if you're saved, that's a deep and meaningful thing. Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And your life is sacred. Now, it's also sacred. Why? Because one day you're going to stand before him. You're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to see him face to face. And you should keep that before you. Always to say, yes, one day I shall see the Son of God. One day I shall see him. One day he's going to look into my face and I shall look into his face. I stand before my Savior. I know that seems remote. We sing songs in churches and we talk about Jesus and Jesus, Jesus, sweetest name I know. But 95% of the people never thought about the fact they're going to see him someday. Face to face. Looking into his face. And you should think of it. And God should speak to your heart because he's coming again. He's coming again to receive the Son to himself. And we must be ready for the fact of the coming of Jesus Christ. Let me just outline a few things this morning very quickly. Let me mention, first of all, the second coming of Jesus Christ done great things for me. For example, the second coming of Jesus Christ has freed me from worry. Has freed me from worry. I think I've read about as many books of this modern day and of days gone by on the matter of tension and worry and fear. And fretting, all of them. But my friend, there's not a thing in this world that has helped me so much as the fact that Jesus may come today. In this hour, he may come at any moment, any time. His coming is imminent. It hangs over us like a sword hanging by a thread. That thread may break at a second time the sword falls. And so the coming of Jesus Christ, he may come at any moment. And God said, watch therefore, no man knows the hour of the coming of the Son of Man. It'll help to free you from worry. You don't have to worry. Mothers and dads, you don't have to worry. Trust God. Have faith in God. He's coming again. Jesus Christ is coming again. Secondly, the second coming of Jesus Christ has kept me from modernism. It's turned me away from it. Wait, I've had my touch with all of it. I've been through the whole business all down through these years. I've been in the schools where it was given, and I've listened to some of it, liberalism, modernism. I turn away from the word of God. But when I got back to the second coming of Jesus Christ, I couldn't escape the fact that this is the literal word of God given to me and God is fulfilling every single portion of it. He said, I will come again. You're not a modernist, my friend, when you believe the word of God as it is. We began Tennessee Temple Schools back in 1946. And uh, when I started the school, I got Mark Cameron to come with me. Mark had been up in Minneapolis, and so I asked him to move to Chattanooga and help us. And uh, he came into school, and I said, Now, Mark, the first thing I want you to do is this. I want you to go to every pastor in the city. That was a foolish thing for me. I wasn't very smart back in those days, Bobby. And uh, I said, Go to every pastor in the city and tell the pastors we're starting a school. And this school will be premillennial, evangelistic, soul-winning, missionary. And so old Mark went out. Old Mark was innocent and sweet, you know. And old Mark took his Bible and went out and knocked on every preacher's uh, uh, door in, in the town and went to them. And after a while he came back, he said, Brother Robertson, excuse me, if you don't mind, I'm going to resign my job. Well, I said, Mark, what's wrong? He said, they're laughing at me, laughing at me. He said, I've just come from a pastor. I can name the pastor right now. I've just come from his office. And he said to me, the second coming of Jesus, why he said there's no such thing. He came one time. That's all of it. So Mark said, I told him, I said, well, sir, the Bible says Jesus said, I will come again. Oh, he said, that means death. That's just death. 
That's just it. That doesn't mean the second of the return of Jesus. That's just a person dying and going to be with the Lord. And uh, Mark said, I can't take this. And he left. Now, most of the pastors turn away from it altogether. And he said, we do not believe in the return of Jesus Christ. We're not, we have no faith in this doctrine at all. And he turned from it. And they were, they were modernists. And they were off on the wrong side. And they were not doing the job that God has given us to do. They had failed and did not recognize their failure. Now, I'll say the second coming has kept me from modernism. I read the books of Fosdick. Read them all. I read the books of Oxnum. That's right. I read the books of, of, uh, of Buttrick. Sure. I read the books of Lester Weatherhead. Read them all, all the way through. I want to see what they had to say. I want to see which way these fellows were going. They deny the fact of the return of Jesus Christ. I've heard them say it. Some in person, some by the books. But they turn from. But when you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ, it will keep you from modernism. And you read your Bible and say, this is the word of God, and the literal teaching of the word is that Christ is coming again, and I want to be ready for the return of my Savior. Again, thirdly, the second coming opened the book to me. It opened the word of God to me. So many things difficult to understand unless you read them in light of his return. In a single verse in the Old Testament, you'll have two comings of Jesus. Mention one verse, his first coming and second coming. Better know what it means. Better know which way you're going. And all the way through, you'll find the, the teaching of the second coming in the Old Testament. I used to say there's one book in the Old Testament that didn't have mention of the second coming. I had to change my mind on that. I began reading it again. You say the little book of Obadiah didn't seem to have a single mention of the return of Jesus, but I was wrong. It does have it. Every book of the Bible mentions the return of the Son of God. Now, if you read your Bible in the light of His return, it will help you to understand your Bible. And this is interesting. All of the great Bible teachers of the past have been premillennial men. And furthermore, all of the great evangelists of the present are premillennial men. I challenge you to find me one single evangelist who is not a premillennialist. Well, he may not say much about it. He may be on the wrong side of the fence in some ways, but every single evangelist of the present, the past, who has accomplished anything for God was a man who believed in the return of Jesus Christ. Now, the second coming of Jesus Christ will open the book to you. Read your Bible in the light of his return. Again, the second coming has caused me to keep my house in order. He's coming again. I believe in separation from the world. We teach this in Tennessee Temple Schools. We hold to it. A lot of folks fight it. A lot of folks disagree. But we hold to it just the same. We believe that girls ought to be girls. Amen. Amen. We believe boys ought to be boys. Amen. Now, the discussion on this thing, you know, but young people, get hold of it. It's good. What, what your teachers give you is good. What your pastors give you is excellent, fine, wonderful. And this matter of separation, he may come at any moment. Therefore, I want to be ready. I've got to be looking ready and, and acting ready and being ready in every way because Jesus may come at any time. That calls for separation. Separation from the world. I recall back in Louisville, Kentucky, when I got saved. I was a high school boy, a Louisville male high school. And uh, then saved just a short time when a Sunday school teacher invited a group of us to come to the home and have a, a little party. We went to the house, I can still see the house in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, went in the home, and we were there, about 15, 20 of us, and having a good time, and the lady said, now we're going to play a game. She said, sit down around the table, so we sat around the tables, and uh, she dropped on the table some cards, and uh, then she went over, and I watched the lady. I didn't know anything about it all. I was just an innocent country boy, so I didn't know what she was doing. She went over and pulled all the curtains down, the shades down. I said, ma'am, uh, why do you pull the shades down? Well, she said, we're going to play Rook. And said, somebody outside might misinterpret what we're doing. They might think we're playing cards. I didn't have good sense, but you know what I did? I got up from the table. I said, ma'am, I don't believe I'll play. 
I said, if you've got to pull down the shades to make sure that nobody misinterprets what you're doing, I said, I don't need this again for me at all. Amen. So I, I backed off. Wait a minute. That taught me a lesson. My friend, live your life in such a way that all the time you can be sure of God looking upon you and you're not ashamed. And knowing that your influence is counting for God every day, all the time. It'll bring separation. Separation from the world. The second coming of Jesus Christ. I went to Fairfield, Alabama years ago, 1937, and stayed there five years. I got to the church and I found some strange things. It was a great old church, Southern Baptist Church. Been there for a long, long time. And uh, I got in the church. I found that the choir director, uh, one of the big employees of the Tennessee Coal and Iron Company, TCI Company, and choir director drank liquor. And uh, I, I said, Why, this can't be. This, uh, this is impossible that a man who's in a place of leadership in the church directing a big church choir would drink liquor, drink uh, beer, and drink wine. And so I went to him. I said, Sir, do you drink? He said, Oh, yes. He said, Nothing wrong with that. He said, A lot of our folks do around here. He said, No one's ever said a thing about it. And I began preaching on the second coming of Christ. It wasn't long until he resigned his job. That's it wasn't long until he got out completely. He couldn't take it. There were those who played cards. Most of them played bridge in the church. They thought nothing about it. They thought it was all right. Sit around the tables and play bridge. But I noticed the second coming of Jesus Christ began to thin out the crowd. And to make a change. But wait a minute. Did it destroy the church? Not at all. Not, it built the church. You see, God will bless that. Had a hundred sons go and went there in 1937. Had an average of 852 the last year I was there in 1942. So you see, God will bless the work and will make it grow. And the same is true in Highland Park. When I went there in 1942, in November, there were 13 or 14 in the choir. They couldn't sing, but they were there anyway. And I'm not joking about that. The punkest thing I ever heard in my life. And they were there. And uh, so when I questioned around, they said, well, all of them here, all of these ladies are members of our local bridge clubs playing cards. And uh, this is a common thing in our situation. And among the deacons, the same thing uh, of card playing and smoking and on down the line. And I begin to draw the line on separation and say, no, this doesn't go. This, this has to change because Christ is coming. We must be ready for the coming of our Savior. And when I drew the line, I thought all of them would leave. Some did leave, but most of them stayed. That's interesting. Most of them are there right now. They're right in the church now, and I can name them right down the line. The hundreds of these people have stayed by because they got the lesson. Jesus Christ is coming again. He's coming to receive us unto himself. It'll keep your life in order, keep your house in order, keep you living right for God. Again, the second coming of Jesus Christ has given me comfort. Praise God. And I need it. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And in him there is comfort. In him there is blessing. And the second coming of Jesus will do so much for us. I mentioned last night, the death of our baby Joy. I was preaching in a meeting in Russellville, Alabama, in a big tent. Tremendous meeting. God was good. It came on a, on a Saturday morning. It was a two weeks revival. On a Saturday morning, I was sitting in the pastor's home. And the telephone rang. He was gone, so I answered the phone. The voice on the other end of the line said, Brother Robertson, we're sorry to tell you, but your baby Joy just died. I said, what do, you, what, do you, what do you mean? Your baby Joy just died. She was two months old, Joy. I talked to my wife the day before. Fine, wonderful, everything healthy, wonderful. And this was on Saturday morning, and the baby's dead. And I didn't know what to say. I put up the telephone and walked out of my car. Didn't even pick up a suitcase, not a coat, nor a tie. I walked out and got in the car. I started driving. I drove back to Chattanooga, 200 miles. I don't recall any bit of the journey. When it came to the Tennessee River, crossing over the Tennessee River out of Jasper, Tennessee, and crossed over the river to the other side, and then about uh, 25 miles from home. 
A big barricade was put across the highway, great big sign, said road closed, turn to the right, go to Highway 11 and come into Chattanooga. And I saw the thing, it made me angry. I really wasn't conscious of any of the trip at all until I got there. And then in my anger, because I said, I want to get there and I don't want to be stopped, I don't want to make a detour, I don't want to go around, I want to go straight on. And it bothered me. And I knew there wasn't a thing I could do. I turned my car. I'd had all of my life, my life text and motto was 1 Peter 2.21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And when I turned my car on that road, the Lord said, change your life text. Change to Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And at that moment, God gave me peace. I got back to Chattanooga and saw my wife, and she said, we nobody knows. I went to see the doctor, Dr. Long, and said, Dr. Long, why did the baby die? What happened? He said, sir, I do not know. I do not know why the baby died. I said, we'll have the funeral service tomorrow. That was Saturday. It happened on Sunday afternoon. We went to church Sunday morning. Of course, people do. In sorrow, they go to church. They don't sit in the funeral home. They go to church. They go to church. We went to church Sunday morning. Had the funeral Sunday afternoon. We buried our little baby out in, out in Greenwood Cemetery in a place called Babyland. We put a body there. Later put up the stone at the head of that little grave in Babyland. We came back and got in the car and drove back to Alabama. Back to the revival, right back to the next services. Fast as I get in there. And back to my place of service again. Now wait a minute. One of these days Jesus Christ is coming again. And when he comes, the Bible says the dead in Christ shall be raised first and the living shall be changed. And together we shall be caught in the air to meet our blessed Lord. He's coming. She's going to be raised from the dead. Yeah. Ah, you say a baby? No, mothers, I'm awful sorry. That's going to upset you now. I know it is, but I'll have to say it anyway. I had a little mother come up to me in a meeting the other day, and she said, I don't like that at all. And she said, when, I, when, when Jesus comes and they're raised, I want my baby to be a baby. I said, she'll not be. You know how they'll be? They'll be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's blessed. That's blessed. I can understand all of that, but I'm going to take it. They'd be like him when he comes again, Jesus. Now, the second coming has given me comfort and given me blessing in my life and will give you comfort, mothers and dads and young people here this morning, when you think of what he's done for you and you rejoice in the blessings of God through him, the comfort that he gives to our hearts. Most of you know the name of Dr. Charles Wyckoff. Three of his songs given on this recording. And I, as far as I'm concerned, they're masterpieces. You'll hear him stopping one or two of them and make some comments. He stopped right in the middle of the song and preached a little while. And they're amazing things. Don't miss it. You bring the people tonight and get them here. And get, get this. Dr. Weigel called me in one day. He said, Brother Robertson, I want you to pray that I can live to be 100 years old. I said, okay. So we knelt in prayer. Listen, if you stayed around Weigel very long, you began to be, believe something. You believed in prayer. You, you couldn't miss it. I said, let's pray. So he knelt and I knelt and we prayed. Now, Lord, I want this man to live to be 100 years old. Bless him now, Lord. Keep him strong and let him live uh, seven more years. That will bring him up to 100. He was then 93. And so I went on the way. He got to be 95. At 95th birthday, we took the service down to the city auditorium in Chattanooga, the big city auditorium, over 6,000 people. And we had him as the guest of honor. And we had everybody, the choirs were there, the audience were there, packed the building. He was the guest of honor. It was his 95th birthday. When we finished, we got him in the car, drove him back to his room. And I had a little thing we'd bought for him, a kind of a little uh, house coat they put on wearing the, in, the, in the study in his room. And I put it on him and we had a picture made with him and he was happy as he could be. A couple of days later, he called me in. He said, uh, Dr. Robertson, if you don't mind, he said, I believe I'll change that prayer. 
Well, I said, what do you mean, sir? He said, I don't want to be 100. I'm old enough. 95 is old enough. And he said, if you don't mind, we'll change it. Well, I said, do you mean that? He said, yes, sir. If you don't mind, we'll change it right now. I said, okay, we'll change it. So we knelt. I said, Lord, this is as far as he wants to go. He's ready to go home now. He's 95, and he feels like this is as far as he wants to go. He said, thank you so much, and God bless you. I went on my way. day or two after that, he called me in again. He said, if you don't mind, I'll go into the hospital now. I said, what's wrong? He said, oh, nothing wrong. I just want to be there. I want to be ready when the time comes. And he said, it's about time to go. He said, so I want to be ready. I'm not joking. I'm not joking at all. Listen, my friends. He was up and walking. He was moving. He was 95. He was still singing. He said, if you don't mind, I think 95 is far enough. I said, if that's what you want, you go. I got a car and sent him on over to Curry's Clinic in our city across the river. And he put him in room 103. I went to see him. I got a nurse to watch over it, a, a, a trained a registered nurse to watch him, to be with him all the time. A different nurse was coming. She, one was there in the daytime, a very fine Christian nurse. And he was there. I'd go to see him and lying there in the bed. And uh, as I said, the doc- doctor, what's wrong with him? He said, nothing I can see. He said, he's just tired. He's 95. And said, a little tired. That's all. Nothing else wrong as far as I can see. Well, I said, do you watch him care? He said, I'll watch him. Dr. Curry. And uh, then one day I'm back in the office and the telephone rang and the voice of the nurse. And she said, Brother Robertson, you better come at once. Said, Dr. Weigel wants to get out of here and go home. And I said, okay, I'll be there. So rushed on over to the hospital. And I got to the door, and she sang the door, and she said, you better talk to him. I said, I will. I said, wait just a second. She stood at the door. I walked over to his bed. He was lying flat on his back, 95 years of age. And his eyes were closed. When I stepped aside the bed, I said, Dr. Weigel, his brother Robertson. He opened his eyes. He raised his hand up from the side of the bed and pointed up toward the sky. He said, I want to go home. I want to go home. I looked back to the nurse at the door, and she was crying. She said, why didn't I see that? Why didn't I understand that? Did you know when he died? Before 10 o'clock that night. Before 10 o'clock that night. We had the service in the chapel of our church with over 3,000 people there. I took his body down to Sebring, Florida. I had the funeral service there. The little country cemetery at Sebring, Florida. Put his body away. But my dear friends, Jesus is coming. This one, 95, will be like the Lord Jesus Christ when Jesus comes. And the baby will be like the Lord Jesus Christ when Jesus comes. He's coming again. It's given me comfort. Number six. The second coming of Jesus Christ given me an incentive to win souls. Given me an incentive to win souls. Get people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is essential. And every one of us should set ourselves to the task of winning souls. Night and day. Knocking on doors. Witnessing to people. Telling folks about the Savior. Witnessing. Saying, this is it. I was preaching out in Seattle, Washington. I said to a man, I said, I want you to take me into Presbyterian Church. He looked at me and said, I thought you were a Baptist. I said, I'm a Baptist. I said, I love Presbyterians. We should go baptize all of them. And he said, all right, we'll go. So we drove. Listen, we went in town to the first Presbyterian church in Seattle, Washington. A great big massive building. I stepped inside. The auditorium seats there over 3,300 people. Pews, mahogany pews, upstairs, down a balcony. comes all the way around. I walked up on the platform. I stood there. And I said, this is something. Boy, this is great. I said, think of it. Here's where Mark Matthews preached for 33, 35 years. 35 years. And this fellow on the front, young fellow, he said, who is he? I said, the pastor of this church for 35 years, Mark Matthews. Presbyterian, great preacher. Sunday morning, dignified. Wore his frock tail coat and wing collar. Sunday night, moved the pulpit all there, put on his suit clothes, and just preached all of them down the pulpit. He didn't have a pulpit. He just preached and kicked and stormed, and the people come. And about the time I'm standing there talking to this fellow, uh, in, the, in walks a man, a man of some years. And uh, he said, sir, can I t- show you around? I said, no, sir, this all I want to see, just this. He said, let me show you the building. I said, no, sir, this much I want to see. I said, wait a minute, sir. I said, did you ever know a man named Mark Matthews? He brightened up like the new 
born son in the morning hour. And he said, knowing, he said, I was a caretaker for the building for the last ten years of his life. He said, I kept this building in order. That was my job. And he said, my best friend was Mark Matthews, the pastor of this church. And he went on. I said, that's interesting. I said, did Mark Matthews ever fill this building? Fill it. He said, why, sir, he packed it overflowing. And then he said, you know, there were ten Sunday nights out of every year that you couldn't get inside the building without a ticket. I said, you don't mean that. He said, yes, sir, he, all of his life he did this. For ten Sunday nights out of every year, he preached on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you couldn't come inside without a ticket. He said, this place was packed and jammed. I said, sir, was anybody ever saved? He said, saved. He said, 90, 95, 100 people, 105 people saved in every Sunday night service. He said, God moved and said the people were. But the second coming of Jesus Christ was the thing that did the job. He said he believed in the return of the Savior. You see, I knew all of that about Mark Matthews. I've got his books in the library. I want to get the old man to say it. That's important. Listen, my friends, the second coming of Jesus Christ will make you a soul winner will make you concerned about others. And finally, the second coming of Jesus Christ has made me love him more and more. When I got saved back in Louisville, Kentucky, I loved the Lord. Yes, I did. When I walked down the aisle of the church on the Sunday to say that I have accepted Christ as my Savior, I never even owned the Bible. But before I got saved, I heard the Bible. As far as faith comes by hearing, hearing with the Word of God. I didn't own a Bible then. I bought a Bible from Sears Roebuck at $1.98 out of Chicago after I got saved. But I loved him. I did love the Lord. I praised God for all he did for me. And I was happy. And after I got saved, mother and father were saved too. And we were all three baptized at the same time. And I loved him. But my dear friends, I came to love him more when I understood the matter that Jesus is coming again. And when this truth hit my mind and my heart, it changed my whole ministry. And what I do today, all of my ministry, the matter of Tennessee Temple Schools with our 3,900 students, the matter of our church, the matter of our mission program with 284 missionaries, our chapel program, 73 chapels all around us, every single bit of it is built on the fact that Jesus Christ may come again at any time. The return of the Savior. And has made me love Him more and more. Let me ask you this morning, how much do you love Him? Do you sing the song sometime, my Jesus, I love thee, I know if thou art mine? For thee all the follies of sin I resign. Do you love him this morning? Do you love him because one day you're going to see him face to face? Do you love him because one day you shall be in his presence? He said, I will come again. He may come at any time. He may come today. Yes, he may. He may come tonight. He may come before I get back home. He may come before the morning light tomorrow. But Jesus is coming again. And his coming will make you love him more and more. Let me close. I was sitting in the office one day in Chattanooga. Him a knock at the door. I went to the door. There's a little lady and a little girl. A little girl about six or seven years old. And she said, may I speak to you? And I said, yes. She came on in. When she walked inside and sat down, the little girl sat in the chair next to her. And she said, Brother Roberts would like to ask you something. She said, do you know somebody who would like to have this little girl? Well, I said, wait a minute, whose child is it? Oh, she's my child. Well, I said, well, I'm giving her away. I'm giving her away. Well, I said, mother, uh, do you have other children? Oh, yes, I have four. I've given three away already. This is my fourth one. I want to give her away. And I said, well, I don't understand that. I said, why do you want to give her away? Oh, she said, very simple. She said, I divorced my first husband. I married a second husband. The second husband said, you'll not live with me unless you get rid of the children. So 
So I've given away three already. That's my fourth one. I get rid of her and I can live with my second husband. Well, I said, you mean that you'd sacrifice your children for the second marriage? And she said, oh, yes, yes, I've already made up mine on that. I've already given away three. And now, here's the last one. said, you know somebody like heaven? I looked at the beautiful child sitting in the chair, and she was pretty. She had, uh, in the old-fashioned way of long curls, and, and uh, look, looked as a, as a child would look, uh, as you would expect, who had been fairly well cared for. And I looked at her, and she sat there solemnly, not a smile, not a motion, uh, not anything, just sitting in the chair. I said, yes, I know somebody. Oh, she said, you do. She said, that's fine. I said, yes, ma'am. I said, I'll take her. I said, if she'll go with us. And if you want to give her to her, give it to us, give her to us, we'll take her. So I turned to the child and said, honey, I said, I don't understand this at all about your mother. I don't understand this. This is beyond me. How a mother could give away her child. But I said, if she's going to do it, we'd like to have you. I said, I want you to come to our home. And I said, I think you'll enjoy my children. They, you can live with them and you'll have your room and you'll have everything there and we'll furnish the best of clothes for you and you can go to school with the children. You'll have a good time. And I painted the picture just as beautiful as I could. And all of a sudden, as I was talking, that child jumped out of that chair like someone shot from a gun and grabbed the mother around the neck and said, Mama, Mama, don't give me away. Oh, Mama, I love you. Don't give me away, Mama, Mama, please. I saw the mother take her arm and straight arm the child back in the chair. I turned to the child again and said, Honey, I said, Your mother didn't want you. And I said, I do, and we do, and I'll take you. And I meant it. And I said, If you'll come to our house. You can attend school with my children. You can have everything they have. You can go every place they go. And I said, I think you'll like it. And I said, you'll have a nice place to live and a nice bed. And you'll have everything. And I kept on painting a picture. And while I talked, she began crying, big tears just rolling down her face. And I kept on presenting the most beautiful picture I could of what she'd have when she'd come to our house. And all of a sudden, with the tears flowing, she jumped again from the chair and grabbed the mother around the neck and said, Oh, Mama, Mama, please don't give me away. Mama, I love you. I love you, Mama. Don't give me away. And the mother again shoved her back in the chair. And when she did that the second time, I got up from my chair and I walked over to the door and opened the door. And I said, Mother, that's the way out. You can take the child and go. I can't do a thing. I cannot touch that child. And I will not help you at all. The mother stood at her feet and cursed me. Vile, vulgar oaths that she poured out, and I can still hear them. She grabbed the little thing by the hand angrily and walked out the door and down the steps. The old chapel building, you know exactly where it was, and took her, dragging her out out of the building. When she was gone, I walked back inside and closed the door. And I sat there for a little while and I cried. I confess to a great, great love for children. I love young people. I'm with them all the time. I don't make any difference between young and old. I take them all the same way, but I love them. They know that. That's reading for Tennessee Temple Schools. and That's reading for Camp Joy and all of it. And I sat there and cried about the child. I said, that awful for a little thing to have a mother whose mother didn't want her, wants to get rid of her. And it, it burned my heart. And then I thought of what I'd done. And all of a sudden, a new thought struck me. I said, that's the way I should love Jesus. I offered that child everything. I offered to give her everything in the world if she'd come to our house. And she said, no, I don't want it. I just want my mother. That's all I want. And I thought to myself, that's the way that I should love the Lord Jesus Christ. I should love Him more than everything in this world. The world offers every inducement it can to pull you away. Every pleasure, everything in the world. And I should say, no, I'll not have it. I want just one thing. I want fellowship with my blessed Savior. This I must have. Jesus Christ said, I will come again. Do you love him this morning? Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, 
Visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.